form or deny my text earlier. What are you talking about? When I said, do you want to do it at six? And I responded and said 6.15. Oh, okay. See, I didn't get that. It, it, it's right, it's right here. Look, can you see mine? <laughs> I see can a little bubble. Yeah. But look, I did not get little bubble. I don't know what to tell you. It must be your straight talk service. Oh, oh that's rough. I'm Charity. I'm Lindsay. And you're listening to Big Sister Small Talk. Hi, welcome back to Big Sister Small Talk with your sister hosts, Charity and Lindsay. This is our sixth podcast episode. We want to thank you all for continuing to listen to us and encourage us. And it seems like a lot of you are enjoying our time together. And seeing as Valentine's Day is this Wednesday, we're calling this our love episode. We'll do our weekly life update. We'll be talking about the romantic fantasy book, The Bridge Kingdom, for That's What She Said. So, spoiler alert. You mean that's what she read? What did I say? That's what she said. That's what she said. (laughs) Yes, no. We'll be reading the romantic fantasy book, The Bridge Kingdom, for That's What She Read. So, spoilers ahead. If you have not read that book and you are interested in reading that book, be listener beware. I will Um, also put a timestamp in the description so then that way you'll know if you need to skip it beautiful and for our potpourri segment we'll be discussing our most overrated and underrated romantic cliches doing like the exciting 1990s soft radio station with love song if only i had a saxophone play in the background (laughs) Near, 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 like careless whispers, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Lindsay, how has this week been? What's your updates for us? Oh, gosh, I don't know. The longer we do this podcast, the more boring I realize my life is. Uh, um, Same. So we are rolling right along with our embryo adoption paperwork. Mm. We are looking at having all of that wrapped up by the end of next week. So... Nice. That's super exciting. I also found out this week that I did, in fact, get the promotion that I had applied for. So really excited about that. Charity's trying to get the balloons and the I'm fireworks. I'm trying so screen. hard to get the balloons to, and fireworks. And it's you have not to working. hold it. You have to put it up and hold it. There they are. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I will start at the end of March. So I've got a little bit of a transition period and I feel a little bit weird about it. I suggested and Paco agreed. I've been feeling weird about a lot of things recently, but I think it's all the hormones I'm taking Mm -hmm. because (laughs) I got a promotion and I wasn't excited, even though I wanted the promotion. And I told in my brain, I was like, why am I not more excited? This is weird. Mm -hmm. And then I had a a really rough day yesterday where I was trying to be productive, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't be productive. And I felt Mm -hmm. really weird about it. And I called Paco. I was like, Hey, I feel really weird. And so like, I just kind of realized, man, I've been feeling really weird about a lot of things. Yeah. So it may be the hormones. It may be the medication. I think that's probably a pretty good theory. Yeah. It took me a couple of weeks to come to that theory, but I think it's probably a good one. 
we had a great day on Tuesday of this week with work. We got to bring a group of educators from across the state together and talk about data and how things were going. And that was a really fun day, except I learned something about myself on my way home from that. So I'm going from Frankfurt to home, which is about an hour and 40, hour and 50 minutes. And it was at the end of the day. So I was like, okay, two hours with traffic, you know, because I got to get on the interstate and everything was rolling along just fine. And somewhere between Richmond and Lexington, I must have been a half mile behind a wreck. And so I came to a complete standstill and sat there for two hours and 38 minutes. Oh my gosh. And I was too close to the wreck to be rerouted. So people behind uh-huh. us started getting rerouted and me right. and a chunk of people who were there just had to wait for them to do the whole cleanup. And I thought, oh man, this must've been a really bad wreck, blah, 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 blah. It was a single vehicle wreck. There was only one vehicle. I still don't know what happened, but both the driver and the passenger were hospitalized. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what took so long. All I know is that I was so proud of myself. I was so patient. I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. I know. I was like, I don't have anywhere to go but home. I hope these people are okay. I'm listening to my audio book. I'm going to be good. And that lasted for about an hour and a half. (laughs) And about an hour and a half into sitting in this standstill traffic, I learned that I might have a fear of claustrophobia because oh. I, I started panicking and I can't explain it in any other way than panic. Um, I was watching cars from behind me on the side road. I could see them. And you knew it was interstate traffic because it was just a little old road, but it was car, 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 car. So I could see where they were rerouting. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been here for almost two hours. I have to go to the bathroom. I was supposed to already be home. The time that was projected had already passed. (laughs) And I panicked. I had a little emotional meltdown and I had to call my husband and I called in tears and I was like, I don't even know why I feel the way that I feel. But apparently it's very normal. Because then I started Googling. So oh, for sure. But also you have to remember too, though, that your hormones probably play a part in that also. Your anxiety no. levels. And did you know what was going on? No. See, no that that instantly... After I would say probably that long or a little less, I would probably start panicking because it's just to me, the lack of knowledge. I feel like I'm stuck, but then I'm also like, I don't even know what's going on. No. So for me, it was 100% the stuck feeling. Like I felt completely stuck. And so I did a little Google research because I was like, what's wrong with me? Am I having like a pure panic attack? And it's apparently very normal to have psychological breaks when you have a loss of control. Right. And people in traffic feel that loss of control. And if it persists too long, your brain starts fighting. I mean, Um, I didn't even really have to go to the bathroom that bad, but I had a nervous breakdown about what would I do if I had to go to the bathroom. 
So basically you just had an instance of how I feel every single time that I leave my house. Nuh-uh. Is it that bad? No, not medicated. It's not that bad. Especially if I'm not medicated and, or when I, I'm all the time medicated now, but when I wasn't before, if I was doing anything that was outside of my routine, even as simple as something as having to stop at the store, even something as simple as it's Saturday and I don't have work today would send me into that type of panic. Oh my gosh. And I still struggle even heavily medicated. I still struggle with being at home and outside of my routine. I struggle with Saturdays. I love being at home and I love having my own time, but it's the loss of what to expect structure that I can feel it building inside of me. And I'm easily agitated. Now, if I am busy, it's better. The busier I am, the better it is if I'm outside of my routine. But yeah, you just experienced a pretty good example of what someone with generalized anxiety disorder goes through. Yeah, I deal with anxiety on a a different level, but this was weird. I think what was so weird to me about this is it felt like a light switch flipped on because I was Mm -hmm. fine. It was totally fine. And I was telling myself I was fine. I'm listening to my audiobook, but all of a sudden I didn't want to listen to my audiobook. I was over it. Mm -hmm. This is not the first time that I have been stuck in traffic for over two plus hours. Right. I remember the, is this the Alabama? Yes. Yes. um, I lived in Alabama in 2013, 2014. And one of those two years is when the polar vortex came down from the Arctic and froze Birmingham. And Birmingham was in a gridlock for weeks. They like cars were stalled on the side of the road because everybody got stuck in traffic and they didn't have the infrastructure to deal with the ice and the snow. But I was on my way to Tuscaloosa which was only an hour drive away and got stuck on the interstate for three and a half hours and really did have to use the bathroom and learned that if you have a to-go cup, you can go to the bathroom in the car and it's totally (laughs) fine. Um, so, So life lesson learned anyway. So I'm sitting in the traffic on Tuesday between Frankfurt and home and I am panicking about being able to go to the bathroom. I am panicking about how I was already supposed to be home and how am I going to get my work done? And oh my gosh, how long am I going to sit here? Am I going to be here in the night? What happens if it's time to go to bed and I'm still stuck in my car? I had this whole imaginary scenario in my head. And my logic side of my brain tried to take over and was like, okay, Lindsay, calm yourself down. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what our plan is. And so I started creating plans to make myself feel better. Mm -hmm. And one of them was if I needed to go to the bathroom, I would just have to go in the car. Like I would just have to cover myself up and go in the car because I was between a wall and there was no vegetation off to the side. And then I started looking around my vehicle for something that I could use the bathroom in. And I only had one receptacle. Do you want to guess what it was? Your Stanley. It was my Stanley. Oh no. I did not have any to-go cups or containers or anything. And oh so the my gosh. I was my Stanley. So even though my logical side of my brain tried to take over, 
it actually maybe made it worse because then I started having a spiral about having to like uh, about to a pee scenario in, to pee in your Stanley which I would have to pee in my Stanley oh my and God. how upsetting that would be because even though she's dented like she's still working for me but it was gonna be <laughs> I was like this is gonna be the end of my Stanley luckily Traffic started moving. I did not have to use my Stanley for that purpose. So I made a pit stop at Bucky's and went to the bathroom and got myself some snacks to eat my feelings. And then I was good to go. <laughs> you got to get feeling snacks. Can't yeah. live without the feeling so snacks. That was, that was my week. Charity, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> Mine was not that entertaining, honestly. Uh, worked all week long. I worked a full on. 40 hour week going into the office, oh, which, which was, I hadn't done that in a while. So that was just my week. We got the baby room painted last weekend completely. Mm-hmm. I say we, it was Travis. Travis did, of course, most or all of the work. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of trim, but that was it. He also put together the crib and the changing table. So that. Room's slowly coming together. We're not working on it real quick. We're doing a little bit at a time. We just wanted to make sure that we had the bigger stuff. The, es- the yeah, essentials. The bigger stuff done. And then the rest of it is will be put together over time. Travis had a really interesting week with his telephone, <laughs> which didn't get fully resolved. You know, you and I talked about it on Sunday. Mm -hmm. We have strike talk service and he had been having troubles with it going on SOS. SOS, please someone help help me. me. It's not the beat for me to feel this way. Anyway, so yeah, sadly, it's not that exciting as the song is. Well, Mm. it is, I guess, because he would need someone to help him because he had no service. (laughs) So anyway... (laughs) He had some really interesting conversations with Strike Talk. And I don't know if anyone that is listening has ever had any relations with Strike Talk. Like you've had to call their customer service. But just hope if that's the case, you never have to do that. Because he was hung up on several times, just out of nowhere. Transferred, then hung up on. None of the texts could help him. And he ended up making a, a total of 15 phone calls. That's what we get for paying for cheap service. It's we get true. Cheap service. It's true. It's true. So he obviously is no longer with Straight Talk. <laughs> he, he had the worst time and he had a couple of texts that decided they were going to change his phone number and he no longer had the same phone number he's had for 15 years, but well, they were I, able, I'm, so he had to I'm go awesome. through a whole other thing to get his phone number back. I am emotionally attached to my phone number. I've had the same phone number ever since I've had a phone. Me too. I have never had anything but this phone number. Me either. And if some little Gen Z nitwit changed my phone number without asking me and then told me I could no longer have my phone number, I think I would be burning things to the ground. Well, I think his main thing was he still uses that phone number for business. So for all of his physician stuff, all the other doctors, the hospital, everybody has this phone number. So he would have had to went through the whole thing to try to get everything changed. And then of course he was like, I've had this for 20 years. So 
Anyways, he is now on Verizon and I'm still on Straight Talk, but I may be changing over. My phone's been fine. So if you ever have problems with your Straight Talk service, do not expect to be fixed. Just try your best. And if it's not working, you just going to have to change because he, they would fix it. It would mess up. They would fix it. It would mess up. And we have iPhone 15s and they are apparently having a lot of problems with the Straight Talk interface with the iPhone 15s that have the eSIMs. But anyway. So for the rest of us peasants who have regular, not state-of-the-art phones, we should be fine. It's just the, the peasants should be fine. It's good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Charity, tell us about your obsession for the week. Okay. Uh, it's really short and sweet. I did a little Bath and Body Works haul. I needed a few things. I needed some plugins because I use the wallflowers and I know, and don't want has to come at me. I know this crap is going to kill me. Okay. I, I know I'm getting poisoned, but it smells so good. It's a death, good way to die. Death is, death is sweet smelling. In she my says house. as she drinks out of a coffee, coffee cup that says tears of my enemy. Yes, the my coffee cup says tears of my enemies. That's a pretty cool. Hey, I, I brought this I brought this out specifically for the Bridge Kingdom, okay? Oh. <laughs> it's not from the Bridge Kingdom, but it is very applicable. Anyway, so in my haul, there were three things that I feel like are worth sharing. Ooh. First of all, I got a spray. This is a very girly part of this podcast, so I'll make it quick. I got a spray. That is called Sweetheart Cherry. It is a cherry that smells like a baked good. So this has. Ooh, yeah, like a, like a cherry, yeah, chocolate like a cherry, cookie. Right, like a cherry pie or something like that. It's not like the Japanese cherry blossom. It's not a floral scent. It's a very food scent. It is um, got pistachio in it. And pistachio is one of my favorite smells. Really? Yeah. So it doesn't say pistachio on the thing, but if you look at the profile of the scent, it has pistachio with your cherry and it's delicious. And the other two things like you could eat it. It does. And I got it in the travel size and I've just kept it in my purse and I just spritz spritz every now and then. And yeah, like a little spritz spritz. It's really nice. The other two things are two candles that I bought. Ooh, I love White Barn candles. Yes, they are the White Barn. One of them is called Almond Croissant. Ooh, Starbucks. Almond Croissant, baby. It is just like an almond croissant. Like it smells like I'm at Rafferty's eating one of those delicious croissants with the honey on top of it. Mm-hmm. Like it smelled mm-hmm. real good. So I've got the candle and then I also had bought blonde bought the wallflowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are amazing. And now my host house smells like a bakery. And also I got one that was called hummingbird cake. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a hummingbird cake. I have. Yes. It's a very mm-hmm. Southern America. Now I always get hummingbird cake confused with the pig licking cake. Okay, no, it's not the same thing. Pig licking cake or pea picking cake, as a lot of people call it in the no, north, but is has mandarin oranges in it and pineapples. And no, pig licking cake does not have pineapples in it. Okay, wait, rephrase, rephrase. 
the cake itself has mandarin oranges and the icing has pineapples in it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Hummingbird cake has bananas, pineapples. With the nuts? Nuts. Yes. Cinnamon. Gotcha. Usually has cream cheese icing. It's a little bit akin to something like a carrot cake. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love it. If you like fruits in your cakes, then you will love a hummingbird cake. Fun fact. Hummingbird cake comes from Jamaica. That is, I can see it. I can see it. And it became popular in the Southern United States in the 1970s. That's a cool fun fact. I like that. Jamaica. Anyway, Bath and Body Works has a candle that smells like hummingbird cake. And I bought it. And it has a cute little hummingbird on the front of it. And it is currently my favorite candle of all time. And I'm obsessed. Sounds delicious. So I'm getting from this conversation that you enjoy smells that make you feel like you're eating delicious food well yeah because I can't eat delicious food all the time but at least I can smell it you know like one of those people when you see them like sniff an oreo and then eat a piece of broccoli okay no, that's it just smells like a bakery okay. now that's true the bakery part but I am not gonna sniff an oreo and eat a piece of broccoli I will just eat the oreo if you gotta put an oreo in front of my face I'm just gonna eat it oh yeah I feel that I feel that With that being said, I think it's time to move on to That's What She Read. I am so excited about this. Okay. I want you to give a little synopsis of what the book is about for people who may want to listen, but don't know what the book's about before we talk about it. I'm just thinking this might be a good thing for people that might want to listen that may not ever read this that would like to listen to our commentary. Okay. So The Bridge Kingdom is a book about a girl named Lara, who is a princess. She is one of the daughters of the king of Merendrina. And she, as a child, was taken and trained as an assassin along with her sisters because one of them is going to be wed to the king of Ithacana, a different kingdom, because of a treaty. Laura is the one who ends up going and marrying the king of Ithacana with the intent of spying for her country and assassinating the king. Of course, when she gets to Ithacana and marries the king, Aaron of Ithaca, she learns that things were not as they appeared. And she had been taught things about the Ithacanians and the Maradrinians and their war that was not true, but she is so brainwashed by her father that she continues to do what she was sent to do and as she's learning the truth. And by the time she truly knows everything and makes the decision that she no longer wants to betray Ithacana and her new husband, it's too late. And she already has... And she has to deal with the repercussions of her lost relationship to her husband and her lost relationship to the country that she has come to love. That was a wonderful synopsis. Thank you. I love this book. (laughs) Listen, so I love this book. I love The Bridge Kingdom. Okay. 
I feel very strongly about it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> like it very quickly went up to probably top five favorites. I love this book. It has so many elements that yeah. I love. I love the mystery of the bridge. I love the kingdom. I love Ithacana. I love the name Ithacana. I'm Shakespearean retail. Here we go. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I love Aaron. I I will marry him if is I wasn't Ar- already married. Okay, no, wait. Is it, a- okay, is it Aaron or is it Aaron? Because I called him Aaron. So I went back and forth between reading the text and listening on the audiobook. And on the audiobook, they call him Aaron. Okay. But that's I gonna have to sent- Listen, that's going to be a problem for me because... When I hear that, I think of Oren, the the plated prisoner from series. plated prisoner series, which is a I'm woman. Good with, I'm good with Aaron. I can do Aaron. We can make Aaron work. Um, but I love him. <laughs> he is and okay. So lots of people go crazy over villain type, morally gray characters, and I like them. I do. I like them. I love the, my woman means more to me than anything, but even more than that, I love a truly noble character. And Aaron is a truly noble character who I can just fall in love with and just adore and never worry about whether or not he's going to rip somebody's throat out for no reason. <laughs> no, and I love, I, listen, I, I, love understand what, I understand what you're saying. I loved him. Loved him. You're correct. I do love ma- myself a morally gray man, but I love that he is a good mix between I am in charge and I can take care of business, but also I care about people. Like I care mm-hmm. about my people. And then also later on, I care about all the people that are on all the continents. I love the relationships between him and the people that are around him that show Mm -hmm. that he respects them. He still has authority, but he respects them enough to know everyone has their place. Yep. So he lets them freely speak their minds in his kingdom, but also keeping in mind that he is the king and that he has the final say. And there Mm -hmm. are certain times where he uses that authority to give Laura some leeway when they're still learning each other, when they're newly married and everybody's filling everybody out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the story is so heart wrenching because it is. as a reader, you know what's happening, but our Aaron is standing up for his wife against all of the people in his country and his kingdom who think that she's a spy. And right. she, she is, a right. they're all right, but he refuses to build a relationship like that. And so he opens his heart and he opens his self to that relationship cautiously, just that the, the, the betrayal is very heart wrenching because we know it's coming. Yeah. It's and rough. Other people see it coming. This book is written in third person but it's both POVs so it switches back and forth between 
what we're seeing, what Aaron is thinking, and then what Laura is thinking. So we get both perspectives. So we see everything coming and they don't see it. So that's really hard. It is. And for a little bit more context, for those of you who maybe haven't read it, at one point in time, before she knows the whole truth, Laura goes in and writes with invisible ink on all of his stationery. It's one piece. And then they have a miscommunication. She thinks she ends up destroying the piece that she wrote no. uh, the secrets on. No, she wrote it on all 24 or 26 pieces of stationery. She wrote it over and over and over again. And that's why she counted them when she was destroying them to make sure she destroyed all of her pieces. So he does write a letter to her father and sends it away. And she doesn't know that. And so I think the part that kills me the most is as a reader, I'm screaming, tell him that you put it on his stationery. Tell him. But she's afraid to tell him. Because she thinks that it will be the end of their relationship if he finds out that she really was a spy. He kind of sort of already knew that she was a spy. But because she kept that one thing from him where she wrote on the paper, papers, whatever. She just thought, I've got this under control. I did something bad, but I took it back. It's not that big of a deal. It's all over. But whatever the Mm -hmm. mix-up was, she did not end up getting rid of it. It ended up getting sent off. And so the book ends with when their kingdom gets attacked he realizes that it's laura because she's the only one who could have told the secrets right um and he lets her go because he loves her so he tells her to oh run my away. gosh okay wait though whenever he tells her to run away and he's so torn because all these people have died already his yeah. cousin taryn yeah. died well, and, and she was so, one of Lara's first friends. Right, right. And so that was really hard. That was probably the part that got me the most. Whenever he was like, I can't decide because I know as a king, I should kill you. But as Love, your husband. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And he's really big with his bow and arrow. So he like knocks an arrow and she's not running off. And so he flings it and it goes into the tree beside her. And she's like, oh my God, he's serious. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, I better go. And then he mouths run. And that was heart-wrenching. That was so, so heart-wrenching. So heart-wrenching. I have a question. So how did you feel about Laura? I can't say she's my favorite main female character, but I liked her because I understood her. There were times when I wanted to smack her and or wring her neck because when you know better, you do better. But it's a trauma response. She was raised with Mm -hmm. all of these thoughts and opinions and they don't disappear overnight. Even then, when she wrote the stationery, when she actually betrayed, she hadn't known the truth yet. She had suspected the truth. But she didn't know the truth yet. Once she knew the truth, she was committed to Ithacana. She was like, no, I'm not going to betray them. But it had already happened. And she right. didn't know it. And she didn't know it. The other two that were reading with me, who happens to be Sam and Ashley, who I read House of Flame and Shadow with, they are also reading it, but they're not finished yet. We were talking about why is Laura so determined even though all these things pop up where it's like girl get a clue Mm -hmm. the only reason that my brain went to oh well she's 
under trauma. Like she has been indoctrinated so hard. It's all she's ever known. You don't easily disengage from everything you've ever known. It's not an easy process. Well, and, and it, it reminds me so much of the Plated Prisoner series with Oren. Mm. And she is my, Oren from Plated Prisoner series is my favorite female character, hands down. Just the way she was written. I liked watching her evolution. Mm-hmm. Lara to me did not seem as believable. Mm. I felt like it was too much of a flip switch. She had started having some feelings. Like when stuff would happen, she would say, oh, well, I wonder if I've been lied to mm-hmm. of course, in a much better way. But she would say, I wonder if I've been lied to. And then she would just switch right back over to, no, I have to do this for my people. Because it didn't become so much about her father as it was about saving the people in her home country that were starving. Yeah, and even the moment where she does go and use the invisible ink on the stationery is a fear reaction. Like for she, sure, yeah. Like she had just learned some truths that were hard truths, and she was in denial. And her denial reaction was, "I'm going to do what I was sent here to do. I'm not going to waver." So I don't know. I I do think. The slow burn was a was great, but was also a little weird to me because I did feel like that flipped too quickly. I feel like we went from a slow burn where we're fantasizing about even just touching their face mm-hmm. to like full on marital relationships. Like, yeah, it was that zero part was to a sixty. Little, it was a little strange. Yeah, the other thing, Laura talks about it a little bit, but I don't feel like it was expressed enough. Laura had grown up in a country that was desert. So all she knew was desert. I mean, she didn't even grow up in the city, correct? She grew up outside of the city in the freaking desert. Mm -hmm. And then she's taken to this country that is just the complete flip opposite. It is a jungle. It reminded me of the Nani's version of the Jungle Book. Okay. Yeah, like like it's the kind okay yes that's what it reminded me of when they were talking about because there's lots of snakes and there's lush forest everywhere tropical rainforest type deal and that's exactly what it reminded me of (laughs) yeah I can totally see that connection she does talk a lot about how beautiful it is and how unfamiliar she is but I don't know it just felt like she should be a little bit more wary but I, I guess maybe she felt like she didn't have anything to lose. I don't know. Well, that's true. And also she was in the middle of the desert, but they were on an oasis. That's true. So maybe she had a little bit of a knowledge of, you know, hey, everything's not sand. Well, and they had trained her specifically for Ithacana. Yeah. So, so I guess I, she was aware. Maybe that yeah. was just me and my brain, but I just kept and, thinking, girl, like, well, and I think don't be messing thing- with those snakes. Well, and I think the big way that the author tried to get that across was that even though she was, you know, in an oasis, there's no bodies of water. And so there's a lot in the book about her struggle. That's true. Water Mm -hmm. and how she gets motion sickness and she can't swim and it freezes her in terror. So like I, I felt that would make sense because you were raised in the middle of a desert. So I don't know. Oh, I've already read the next book in the series which is are you serious yes it's called the traitor queen and i've already read it and i am about halfway through the third book 
in the oh series called The Inadequate Air. You went all out. I told you. It hits almost all of my buttons. I really liked it. And I really liked Aaron. I loved him. Laura kind of, eh, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure about her. But I can go ahead and read a series if I'm not real keen on one of the characters. I'm okay with it. And for me, Aaron absolutely makes up for it. Well, and I could not leave them the way no. they to the book. No, no, no. So- the, the book ends on a cliffhanger. And I'm invested enough where I do plan on reading the next book. Just not, I'm not going to read it right away. I have two other things that I have to read right now. But mm-hmm. after those are finished, then we'll probably read the second book. Yeah. I, I want to read it before I forget everything that happened in the first book. Yeah, especially because before we got on to even talk about this one, I had to go back and read a quick little synopsis of the book because mm-hmm. since I read them back to back, I couldn't quite remember what was a part of one and what was yeah, a part of the other. Right. I have line. found like it when you're reading a series, the longer that you fit off reading the next book, the harder it is for you to really follow along and understand or even be emotionally invested in what is going on because you've separated yourself too far. Yeah, I highly recommend the second book as well. It's called The Traitor Queen. It's about her being the traitor queen and it finishes out the war between Ithacana and Marandrina and you meet some new characters that you fall in love with. I would say if I had one grop, just one, I've said a lot of grops probably, but I have one more grop. I could not believe how quickly that the last quarter, maybe a little less than that, switched paces a complete 180 flip to me. It was rushed. It went full plot heavy. And I was like, what happened? Well, they went into war. That's what happened. I don't know. To me, I was telling uh, my friends, I feel like that it's a pacing issue. I feel like I spent time knowing the characters. And then all of a sudden she was like, okay, we've got to move this along. It just started feeling like she's rushing towards the end here. I'm not saying it should have been longer. I'm just saying it, it felt uneven to me. Okay. I did not feel that way because I felt like it was a pretty steady build. I do feel like the pace got faster, but I feel like it did that over time or do you mean like I guess it, I did find it a little strange that there's this time period she spends in Aranol yeah we, we just yes completely yes for sure yes okay. I think that that was part of it she spent all this time um and rightfully so explaining how Aaron and Lara are building their relationship while they're in Midwatch, which is the middle part of this kingdom. Yeah. And so they spent all this time there being specific about what they were doing. And then she goes to this place that they have kept secret from all the other kingdoms. And all of a sudden it doesn't even matter what happens there. Yeah. And it was like, oh, they were there for six months and then they came back to Midwatch. Yeah. Well, and not even only that, but then she was doing things like teaching, like the kids. teaching the kids, which is great. But I'm also, that was a one sentence. Okay. I do agree with that. And when you, when you go into the Trader Queen, because they're at war, Aaron all plays a bigger part in the second role. Right. But I 100, I see what you're saying now, because I felt like I intimately knew Midwatch 
Mm-hmm. And as I was listening slash reading to the second book, there were times where I couldn't even picture Aaron all. Right. Because, because you, got, you got one page. Yeah. That's my personal opinion, but that's how I felt about the ending of the book. Not that the ending was bad. It was just the pacing to me was off. I, I do think for this series, a good beginner series for I people agree. who are wanting to read a romanticy, which is like I a agree. fantasy romance. And I think this is a great, a great first series. Yeah. I haven't read the other books, but I feel like that it is right where you would want to be before you go in, either into something deeper or even into something where you more intricate. More- Right, more morally gray characters and probably even more characters because, I mean, overall, there wasn't a huge amount of characters in this. If you are interested in getting into romanticy and you've listened to this conversation and you don't care about the spoilers, we, <laughs> we recommend <laughs> that you start your romanticy journey with the Bridge Kingdom it, because it I would agree it's a very great beginner. Yes. And there are so many little moments in the book between Aaron and Laura that are just romantic. You could just eat it up with a spoon. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yes. I love, I love it. Anyway. So you mentioned you had two more books. So what's next up for yes. charity? Okay. So one of them is by Megan Quinn, the reason I married him. And it is a marriage of convenience. Okay. No, I love those. That's one that I'll be reading. But before that, I got into a author that my friend Miranda had told me about. And her name is Amanda Richardson. And she writes contemporary romance, angsty, not rom-com. It's very dramatic. It's very smutty. She doesn't call them dark romances because nobody's knocking anyone. What What fun is that? Nobody, nobody's trying to take anyone out or commit a bunch of crimes. The betrayal of your kingdom. No betrayal of your kingdom, but it dives a lot into, um, like kinkier things. Um, Uh, um, oh, okay. It's a series, but they're standalones too, which is a lot how contemporary romances are. Typically, and yeah. This is the third one that comes out. And it's called Ward Willing. The first one was called Pray Tell. And the one after that was called Mary Laws. And I've read both of those. And this new one is Ward Willing. And one of the Ravage brothers, who is the oldest one, and he is taking care of his best friend's daughter. Uh, who just, oh. But I mean, she's of age. But, um, okay. But, you know, probably not <laughs> my cup of tea. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a professor student. Oh, probably not my cup of tea. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to like it. But I got an ARC, which is an advanced reader copy. So, oh, cool. Amanda Richardson sent me a advanced reader copy. I mean, I had to put in for it, but. I got a print. Look at you being and all cool. And so, I mean, I've got arcs before, but this one was specifically important to me because I'm really invested in the series, which is probably why she gave it to me. But so, so um, how do you go about getting an arc? Well, um, she's an independent publisher. And so I don't want to say it's easier to get them from indies, but it's usually easier to approach an indie author 
um, because whoever does their social media or them themselves will put out like a thing on social media that says looking for ARC applicants. And then you Got usually it. have to, you usually have to go on and fill out a form, but of course they're looking for people who review books, people who are on, you know, Instagram as book influencers, that type of deal. So I've right, got, right. I've got some arcs before, but it's, if you're going through a major publisher and you're looking for advanced reader copies, you have to go through the publishing company and that gets inf infinitely more difficult because you're not actually interacting with the person or the person's PA you're interacting with the actual publishing. So yeah, no, not worth it for me. Never mind. No, it wouldn't be worth it for me either. These smaller indie authors are just as good authors as Sarah J. Mass is. Yeah. But it's just finding them is the thing because not everyone gets a choice. Not everyone gets a chance. So there are indie authors out there that are not so good, but there are regularly published authors that are with publishing companies that are not so good. So it's kind of like a, you know, give and take there. Anyway, there's, just, I, there's so many factors that go into that. So many. And um, a lot of it has to do with money. A lot of it has to do with money and who you know, and so on and so forth. But anyway, I really like Amanda Richardson's books. If you like angstier romance with some kinky themes, Amanda Richardson would be for you. I equate her books with Sarah Kate books, if anyone is familiar with the work of Sarah Kate. So those are the two that I am going to be reading before I go back and read The Traitor Queen. Did you also see where Allie Hazelwood had a new book come out? No. It's not a contemporary romance. I don't care. Is it a romance? It is. It's called is it a young adult? No. It is called Bride, and I will read you the synopsis I, if I, I can thought, find it. Didn't she say once upon a time that her next book was going to be a vampire book? Ooh, that's what it is. <laughs> it's a vampire book. Yes. A dangerous alliance between a vampire bride and an alpha werewolf becomes a love deep enough to sink your teeth into in this new paranormal romance. <laughs> Okay, it's getting added to my Amazon cart instantly. This one already has 3,000 reviews and 10,000 ratings because they do a big blitz for these books even before they release. Yeah. And it has a 4.29 on Goodreads. We which is 4.6 on Amazon. So it's good. That's enough to, to tell me that it's good. Yeah, I'm buying it right now. It's it's on sale. Everybody's 20% off. Go get it. 15, 20 on Amazon. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Sorry. I think I accidentally ordered, pre-ordered the Kindle version instead of the no! physical version, which I am so not okay with. I mean, I, I would be okay with it, but. I would too, but not with an Allie Hazelwood book. Let's move on to our love and Valentine's Day potpourri. Ooh. We're going to be talking oh, okay. about romantic cliche and whether that we believe mm. they are overrated, underrated, or rated just right. Appropriately rated. So we will mention some cliches and then just talk about how we feel about them. So 
the first cliche that I absolutely think is overrated. Okay. Overrated. Okay. Hear we'll me see out. I, we will see if I agree with you or not, but yes, go ahead. Enemies to lovers that's single-sided. Overrated. You're saying you want them to both actually feel the hate. Yes. And I also want it to not be actual enemies. <laughs> like, so I love a good enemies to lovers trope, but I'm very particular apparently about what they are. I, I do not like it when they're single-sided and I do not like when it goes too far. When you are physically hurting the other person, I'm over the enemies to lovers. Like hold a knife against their throat and threaten them, sure. But if you actually punch them, I'm done. But my question then would be, is it actually hate if you're not willing to follow through with the hate? Maybe I don't necessarily need hate so much as like misinterpreted feelings. Well, like I it's think actually attraction, but it comes out as right. And when I've talked to people about this, like on Bookstagram before, I think we've pretty much come to the conclusion that most people don't like enemies to lovers. They actually like dislike to lovers. Ooh. But I think that, for example, I would consider, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but I would consider The Bridge Kingdom an enemies to lovers book because they are literally on opposite sides of the war and they're enemies. The intent is there, but the action never actually happens. I agree with you. I believe that that is an actual enemies to lovers. But, but most books are not like that, though. I don't mind the hate being there, but if it's actually acted on, I guess I don't forgive because I think that, okay, I got it done. I like potential enemies to love. I understand how specific that is, right? But it is a total no for me when the man will physically abuse the woman and then later in the book they're lovers. I can't well, get into I that. Think, I think the problem with that, though, is that most women would not prefer a male or a partner, whatever, that would hurt you. Right. And I think that that's pretty normal. We've talked about this before. I think this is a difference between you and I, though. I love bully romances. I love it when the guy is a complete and utter jerk, but secretly on the inside, he's like, I don't know how to express myself. I don't know how to deal with this. But what if- I don't know how to- But what if that's not- well, either way, I'm that's that is my overrated. What's what's one of your overrated cliches? First one is unplanned pregnancy. Oh, I hate it. So overrated. And I'm not even sure a lot of people like it. So I don't even know if it's the chibitzies. It's just terrible. It's a terrible trope to me. It's, it's terrible cliche. It's awful. Hate it. Absolutely. The second the second that they have had sex and someone says, I'm getting sick in the morning, I'm like, nope, closing that book. I'm done. Yeah. No, I agree. Totally overrated. Totally overrated. Don't want nothing to do with it. Another trope or cliche that I think is extremely overrated is love triangles. I very much dislike love triangles because I feel so much for the third person. For example, Sweet Home Alabama. 
one of my favorite romantic movies. So good. But I think it would be so much better if she didn't completely destroy Patrick Dempsey. (laughs) I just, I, I like, like Twilight, right? Like, I did not need there to be a love triangle between Jacob and Edward. The fact that one was a werewolf and was her friend and the other one was a vampire and was her man is enough tension. We don't need more that devastates (laughs) one of our characters. Overrated. And that goes along with one of my other overrated, so I'll go ahead and mention it here. Cheating. (laughs) Automatic, like, Okay, okay. So this is the thing. This is the difference for me. I don't mind love triangles. I don't feel like they're overrated. I feel like they're really not done a lot. I don't like the cheating ones. I do like the love triangles where she's with someone, but they're not serious. But then someone else comes along and she's got to choose. Well, and I'm okay with, I guess with that, but like, so some examples, and I don't know why movies are coming to my brain right now, but like the wedding planner, she's literally planning their wedding. Right. That's cheating. Even though they didn't get hanky panky, he was straight up cheating. And then the notebook. And I love the notebook, but she's just straight up cheating on her man because she had this romantic relationship with this guy. Like, no, I'm just overrated. I, I don't know if I think that it's overrated as much as I just like, it's just not what I care for. Okay. You have any other more overrated? I, do. I have one. What have you got? And you probably want to agree with this one. So in the words of Dwight Schrute, tip for tip, um, career women who decide suddenly that their whole life has not been complete until they fall in love. Now, I would agree with that one. I hate that. I like the Hallmark movie. It's fine if your life is unfulfilling, but you mean you didn't realize your life was unfulfilling until somebody fell in love with you and you fell in love with them? Seriously? Yeah. No, I agree. Overrated. Overrated. Do not like. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. So another thing that I think is overrated are the times when feelings are admitted, but at a time when the person that they are being admitted to doesn't hear them. So like the, (laughs) and then I look down at her and she's already fast asleep. (laughs) I hate it. Uh, It's so overrated. It is not romantic. It's quite stupid. It's actually quite creepy if you think about it. Don't get me wrong. I love a character who can't admit their feelings. But that's not what we're talking about, though. But if they can't admit their feelings, they're not going to admit them while the person's asleep. I like it when they can't even admit it to themselves. Oh, I have another one. Oh, okay. I just thought of it. Empowering makeovers. Yeah. That's one that I don't like either. All of a sudden you change their outfit and cut their hair and now they're supposed to be like or or more listen, beautiful. Listen, my favorite one of all time. Have you watched She's All That? Yes. They just Where took her glasses off. They literally just took her glasses off. That's it. That which, mean, I, which is funny because I also like that movie. But I do I also agree too. Like I cringe. Like I hate but that. I'm like, no. She looked just as good with her glasses on as she did with her glasses off. That's so stupid. Yes. Okay. I've got one more overrated and then I'm done. Okay. Love at first sight. (laughs) Overrated. (laughs) So you're talking about what they call insta-love too. 
right? Yes. No, if it happens, like, you've only known each other for a week, I'm so, no, mm-mm. overrated. I don't know. I've read some before where uh, one comes to mind is the Tessa Bailey book that I read for Christmas, which was Wreck the Halls. And it may not be much insta love, like what we're thinking of though, because they knew about each other before that they spent time together, but it's pretty much insta love. Mm, No. And I I adored that book. I adored it. Maybe because of the way that it played out, because even though that they had insta love, it was still a slow burn in the fact that they didn't act upon their insta love instantly. Was it insta-love or was it like insta-attraction? No, it was pretty much like we're meant to be. Oh, no. mm -mm. It was good. It was a good book, though. All right. What about underrated cliches? I really feel like that friends to lovers is underrated. Oh, I love a good friends to lovers. People always just want enemies to lovers. And, And there has to be some kind of tension and some kind of conflict because that's a story. But I love it when they have history and it comes back around. I would agree. I do like friends to lovers. What I don't like is second chance romances. Like where they've been together before and then broke up and then come back together. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan of those, but I do love a good friends to lovers. I don't think I mind second chance romance. The book that I'm writing is kind of a second chance romance. FYI. Um, Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's not a full second chance. It's actually... Probably a little bit more like friends to lovers than a second chance because they weren't actually together the first time. Yeah, which, you know, I think it's kind of ironic that I feel that way because my romance with my husband was his second chance. Actually, second chance. But if I could go back and rewrite our story, I would never write it the way it was. (laughs) That probably goes to Uh, why I don't like second chance romance. But that's funny. Um, What about you? So what's one of your favorites? So I had a really hard time picking underrated because I feel like the ones that I did pick aren't underrated. I feel like they're appropriately rated. Okay. Yes. So here are some of my appropriately rated (laughs) romantic cliches. I love a good one bed trope. Oh yeah, for sure. I love it. Everybody else loves it. It's appropriately rated. It is appropriately rated. Everybody loves that one. Like, and going along with that forced proximity. Yes, where they're like, they're they're going to be around each other, right? Yeah, or or fake dating. Like I, love, I don't know what it is about a fake dating or a forced proximity. I don't know, but I love it. Yeah, I like them too. I like them too. Yeah, and then my other probably, like I said, it went under underrated, but probably is more appropriately rated. Are sexy dancing scenes. I can say that from you. I think we talked about it actually just a couple weeks ago when we read Better Hate Than Never. Yes. And they had like the tango scene. Yes. Uh Yes. Like give me a good steamy (laughs) dance. And I see. Okay. That's one that I don't dislock it, but that doesn't change the tide for me. But I'm not a dancer. So maybe that's what it is. Did you have any underrated cliches? I don't think I have any underrated. Um, if I have to think about my favorite cliche is Beauty and the Beast, which is more like a grumpy sunshine. That's yeah. probably my favorite. Where one character, usually the male, is grumpy. He is moody. But he has this soft spot for this girl 
who is just a ray of sunshine. Yeah, that's typical Beauty and the Beast for sure. Yeah. I like those. I don't think they're my favorite. I want action. I want wit. I want like fake identities. I want, and then like (laughs) as as Aladdin, we just identify with the Disney movie that best meets our preferences. But I've always loved a little bit of fantasy, not too much, but just a little bit of something in there. I think with the Beauty and the Beast one, you're taking people and you're digging into them. You're going beyond the surface layers, almost like a psychological deep dive into why is this person the way that they are? But what I like so much about my trope with Aladdin is it's less about digging into a person and it's more about how like people aren't always what they seem. So I don't know. I wonder if we could analyze our relationships with our husbands. I wonder if they would. I'm pretty sure we've done that. And I'm pretty sure that we agree that I am absolutely Belle and you are absolutely Jasmine and we are living our best Disney lives. Yeah. I mean, even the brown skin, like, yeah, I, I mean, you it. went, you went all out. I, I mean, I didn't go all out because I didn't marry like, no, he's Mexican and he's not, you <laughs> he's know, not from, from Turkey, you yeah, know, he's but, not from the Middle East, but you went pretty far. Yeah. I went, I, yes, I went as close as Kentucky would let me. <laughs> <laughs> That's really uh, good. Paco, if you're listening to this, I love you. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Well, you got any plans for Valentine's Day? Nope. Not a one. I've been married for 18 years this year. And there's just something that happens when you get older where it's just like, it's not as important at all. Not romance, but February 14th is just not as important. So what are you all doing? Well, similar. We don't do anything big for Valentine's Day. We stopped that a few years into our marriage. And we really don't do gifts or anything either. We don't either. Typically, we will make a special dinner at home. Like for the past couple of years, I've done like crab legs and red lobster biscuits. And Mm -hmm. we make like an angel food cake, strawberry, like dessert. Celebrating, but not going like all out. And so that's probably what we'll do. And then I did have something that I ordered from Amazon. Ooh. or a little spicy spice um, Dear Lord. <laughs> but yeah so that's about it because on actual I can show you the world <laughs> but for actual Valentine's Day we'll be in Knoxville for one of our embryo appointments <laughs> hey so. but that's kind of that's kind of appropriate I mean I can't in some weird twisted way it's kind of appropriate in some weird twisted way well anyway We're so glad you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to let us know on our social media and rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Our social media is Big Sister Small Talk on Facebook. And then our Instagram handle is Big Sister Small Talk. And all of your likes, your comments, all that stuff really matters to get our podcast out there. Any shares that you can do is just amazing. And thank you so much to the people out there who listen to us. I mean, there are people out there that listen to us every week, Lindsay. Like every week. Um, We love you. We love you. And if you have anything you want us to talk about, 
topics that interest you, send us a message, send us a direct message on Instagram, comment on any of our posts and we will make sure to work that in. Or even if you've got a book you'd like for us to read. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be fun. That would be amazing. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening. Thanks.